Let us look together at the psalm from which that hymn comes, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. We have not done any installments in this uh, piecemeal series for quite some time of Christ in the Psalms, and we want to see Christ in Psalm 34 by God's grace here this afternoon. Let us read the psalm. A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are open, are, I'm sorry, are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate." <clears throat> May God bless the reading of Psalm 34. This is a, a great psalm. It's one of the more familiar ones. According to the title information given to us here, this is a, a psalm of David. And on this particular occasion, you remember in 1 Samuel 21, how that David fleeing for his life and looking for a safer place than Israel, goes over to the Philistines. And then he realizes he's not any safer there. His life is in danger 
there. And so he has to feign madness in order to escape from this king Abimelech. He's called Achish there in 1 Samuel. Abimelech is more of the generic name for a king uh, in Philistia, sort of like Caesar in the Roman Empire. So David had to escape, and it says when he departed, uh, that's the occasion of the of this psalm, or that's the commemoration of this psalm, or perhaps even when it was actually written. It is praise to God for his merciful deliverance. You notice this psalm is divided into 22 verses, and that is because it is an alphabetic psalm. The 22 letters of the Hebrew language are uh, incorporated into this the 22 sentences of this psalm. It's an acrostic in the Hebrew. Now, this is a good example of a psalm where in one verse we see our Lord Jesus. We see a messianic reference very clearly. And that's verse 20 concerning Christ's Death on the cross and how that a bone of him was not broken and he kept all of his bones. In fact, it is quoted in John chapter 19 and verse 36. You remember the, the thieves crucified one on either side of Christ. They were still living as the sun began to set. And so their legs were broken to hasten their death. Christ was already dead. A soldier, instead of breaking his legs, pierced his side. Not a bone of him was broken. And John mentions that in fulfillment of Psalm 34, verse 20. Now the question for us is, is this the only verse in Psalm 34 that talks about Christ? Well, for many years, I would have said yes. Christ just pops in in this one verse and pops back out. And the rest is about David and it's about us and about every Christian and his experience. But I contend now that we should see Christ all through this psalm. And the fact that he's in this one verse should encourage us to see him in other verses as well. <clears throat> David, after all, is a type of Christ in a variety of ways. And Christ is called David prophetically in some Old Testament passages. He's called the son of David. Uh, in, in fact, quite often in the four Gospels, we see that title given to him. As David was delivered 
out of his sufferings and afflictions, so Christ was delivered out of his sufferings and afflictions. How so? By the resurrection from the dead. That's the ultimate deliverance that our Lord Jesus experienced. I have mentioned a couple of writers that see Christ throughout these psalms in in the way that we're considering in this study. One is uh, Horatius Bonner, or is it? No, it's Andrew. I think it's Andrew Bonner. And to my pleasant surprise, in a in this particular psalm, Bonner quotes a couple of other authors that I'm not familiar with. One is named Doctor Alex, and he says, quote, "This psalm containeth the praises which the Messiah." gives to his father for having delivered him out of all his sufferings, end quote. And then Bonner quotes another one named Horsley, who says, quote, Messiah exhorts to holiness and trust in God by the example of his own deliverance. That's his summary of Psalm 34. So we have at least uh, some other writers lesser known. In fact, I was able to look up and see if if Spurgeon, in his review of commentaries, mentions either one of these. And he mentions Horsley, the second of these two, and says uh, uh, that he should be read with great caution. But uh, I think, at least on this quotation, on this particular psalm, that uh, I would be in agreement with Horsley. Horsley evidently was a, an Anglican writer that had some oh, rather fringe views on some things, perhaps, according to Mr. Spurgeon. One other thing to point out in this psalm is how often the name of God is used. <coughs> in these 22 verses, the name Jehovah or Yahweh, is used, if I counted correctly, 16 times. It's in most every verse. And, of course, it's Lord here in our translation. So I mention that to say this. Though certainly according to Scripture, as we considered even in the first hour this morning, The Son, the second person of the Trinity, is Jehovah. In this psalm, and in the context in which we consider it, the term Jehovah indicates the Father in relation to Christ as the Son of Man in his incarnate life upon earth. And so when we see the word Lord here, we think especially of the Father in heaven. Now, we might just make a very general division or outline of this psalm. In the first ten verses, there is what is clearly a, a song of praise. And then in 
from verse 11 to verse 22, there is what we might think of as a sermon or even a sermon in song, an exhortation and teaching. So we'll just look at this verse by verse for the most part here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as a man on earth, was in constant praise, constant worship, constant communion with the Heavenly Father. If anyone did ever pray without ceasing, it was he. Verse 2, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. There was inward praise in the soul of our Lord. Rejoicing in the heavenly Father. And that spilled out, we might say, to his disciples. The humble shall hear thereof. And be glad. Humble here refers to those who humble themselves before God. Who acknowledge God as God. Who are despised and rejected by the proud of this world. They are the ones who are made to rejoice with Christ and in Christ. Then there is in verse 3 a call to worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Here is Christ calling us to worship. To worship the Father in heaven. He delights in having company, companions in the worship Of the Heavenly Father. It's as if He doesn't want to worship Him by Himself. His love to us is so great. And His union with His people is so strong that He will not worship without us. And so He says, Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. We get just a glimpse of the delight that Christ had in worshiping with his disciples, for example, while he was on this earth. Gives us a hint of the joy of worshiping in heaven with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This is as if Christ were to say, rejoice with me in what the Father has done for me. And this we do when we consider his suffering and his humiliation and then his resurrection and exaltation and glory. We rejoice in 
Christ our Lord. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. The seeking here would indicate prayer. And we see our Lord often at prayer in the four Gospels. He was always heard. He says as much in John chapter 11 at the grave of Lazarus. I knew that thou hearest me always. The Father in heaven heard the prayers of the Son upon earth. And he says he delivered me from all my fears. Did Christ know any fears? This may be the most challenging part of Psalm 34 as far as seeing Christ in it. But I think a good way to address it is this. In as much as the head sympathizes with the body, Christ as the head sympathizes with the members of his body, so he sympathizes with us in our fears. He takes our fears as his own. And they are all subdued and conquered by him. This is a theme that recurs again in this psalm. Let me just go ahead and move forward to verse 17. Very parallel to verse 4. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. This is almost a refrain, a a, a repeated chorus, we might say here in this psalm. The wording is very parallel. And this applies in some ways to Christ, certainly. He was the righteous one, and oh, how he did cry. We read brief accounts of his strong crying and tears in Gethsemane. And according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, he was heard in that he feared. Yes, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Again, similarly in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Our Lord Jesus was afflicted, afflicted more than anyone else in his death on the cross. And as I said earlier, the deliverance that applies to him is not deliverance from the cross. It's even better than that. It's deliverance from the grave to be raised up in glorification. Verse 5. They. Who is they? I take it to be the humble of verse 2. They looked unto him and were lightened. Here's the benefit of Christ and his work on the cross to his people. We look unto him. This is wording found in passages like Isaiah 45. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth and so on. 
And those who look to him, it says, are lightened, enlightened, we might say. He enlightens our understanding. He brightens our heart. He illuminates the darkness with his grace. He lifts up our countenance, we might say. And none who look to him are ashamed, that is, disappointed, confounded. All who look to him receive the benefit of his salvation. Thus, we, we say, look and live. Look to him and live. None look to him in vain. All who look to him will be saved. And then verse 6, we've already no, I meant to say something on verse 6 back when we were in verse 4. Verse 6 is one of these that's very parallel to verse 4. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So we have actually four verses in this psalm that are something of the theme repeated here, verse 4, verse 6, verse 17, and verse 19. The father heard the prayers of the son and raised him from the dead, saved him out of all his troubles, raised him up in glory, seated him at his right hand. So verse 7 goes on to say, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. We see the human nature of our Lord as a man on earth protected and helped by angels. We see it after his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. We see it in Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. In Matthew 26, he was conscious of what he calls 12 legions of angels that were available to him upon his request. He was conscious of protection and help in the form of angels. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Who more than Christ could fathom the goodness of God? Whoever tasted and saw more clearly the goodness of God than the Son as a man upon this earth? He was indeed the blessed man, the happy man, None more happy than he in his humiliation as a man as he must trust in the Father in heaven. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. He calls his people, Christ calls his people to fear God. 
And God supplies those who fear him with abundance of good things, abundance of the best things, not necessarily material things, but the best things, spiritual blessings. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him, verse 8, verse 9, there's no want to them that fear him. Verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Animals naturally provide for their young. Even animals, however, may fail, but not God. God never fails to supply the needs of those who seek Him. Our Lord Jesus sought the Father continually. The Father blessed and helped Him all the way through His public ministry. In those lonely hours on the cross, He withheld His comfort and help. But He raised Him from the dead And all good things are His forevermore. Believer in Christ, can you testify of verse 10 yourself? Is there any spiritual good that God has not given you? Or not promised to give you? And I think most of us would have to say even... Materially speaking, God has been exceeding gracious and abundant to us. His supply is sufficient in every circumstance and every condition. Let us rejoice. Well, this is the first part of the psalm that we might think of as a uh, a call to worship. We come now to the the exhortation, the the imperatives. Come, ye children, verse 11, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Listen, if you can't see Christ in this verse, uh, I don't see how you miss him. He is the prophet. He's the teacher. He's the revealer. He's the one who shows us the Father. He says, listen to me. I will teach you reverence, the fear of the Lord. He calls us children. And this is not the only place, of course, in Scripture. Isaiah 8 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2 with these words in the mouth of Christ. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. He calls us His children. On earth, He called His disciples children on some occasions. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
and so on. He says to us, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here is his prophetic office, graciously demonstrated. And then here's the question, verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Who wants to live and live forever and live in happiness, blessedness, and joy? Well, here's the answer. Here here are the requirements in verses 13 and 14. Again, imperatives here. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. If you want to live forever, here is how to walk here and now. In this life, in this world. And as we said this morning, endeavored to say the last couple of Lord's Day mornings, we understand that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by keeping our tongue from evil and so on. This is the evidence of the grace of God at work in us. But these are works that follow salvation. These are things, as Hebrews says, that accompany salvation. And so if you want eternal life, the fruits of grace should abound in us in how we talk, how we live, how we walk, what we pursue. And again, this, this is a, 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 an excellent example of how that Christ as the head of his people is an example to us in the very obedience that he calls us unto. Think of how he guarded his tongue and his speech. Peter talks about it as no guile, no deceit in his mouth. No sin in him. Only goodness. And as verse 14 says, uh, doing good, seeking peace and pursuing it. He is the great peacemaker. He is our peace in every dimension, reconciling us to God, reconciling us even on a horizontal level to our fellow man. It is his works, ultimately, that pleased the Father unto our salvation and secured for us eternal life. Well, moving on here, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The eyes and ears of God here speak of his delight in his people and his favor toward his people. He sees us, he hears us in a sense of approving by his grace. And how can that be true? What is there to approve in us? Well, it's because of our union with Christ. He has made us to be righteous in his sight. And he beholds us 
with approval. His ears are open unto our cry. God hears our prayers because of our connection with Christ. Because we are in Him. We pray in His name. We plead His merits at the throne of grace. By way of contrast, outside of Christ, verse 16, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Outside of Christ, there's only wrath, destruction, death, desolation, hellfire. We considered at least somewhat already verse 17 as parallel to several other verses here. So let's go to verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Humble, broken ones enjoy the presence of God, His closeness, His fellowship. We in Christ are humbled and broken before Him. And None was more humbled and broken than Christ himself. Not because of his own sin, but as he bore ours. He's called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. We see his broken heart in Gethsemane and on the cross of Calvary. And yes, the Lord delivered him on the third day from the dead. And so these these closing verses point us to Christ especially. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Oh, what great afflictions he suffered. And yet in resurrection glory he's delivered out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Verse 20. The Father's deliverance for the Son included even this in His hour of death. No broken bones. And you can read different writers on this. Everybody has a little you know, peculiar take on it and, and all of them are interesting. All of them uh, helpful. Some say the The unbroken bones speak of his not being destroyed utterly, being kept intact, at least as a body. Some see in a spiritualized way the spiritual body of Christ for whom he died, all saved, all kept, none lost, none broken off separated, lost in that sense. And of course we see the the fulfillment of Old Testament typology in the Passover lamb. You can read about it there in Exodus 12, 46. The specific instruction was that they were to eat the Passover lamb in one house. 
and not to take it from house to house. Each family, or if they combined with, uh, with, with a neighbor, they were to eat it in one house. They were not to take the lamb and, uh, and separate in, into parts and say, okay, you get half in your household and we'll keep half over here in our household and so on. That would have involved the, the, the breaking of the bones. At least quite possibly. No. Not a bone broken. And there is significance in that even as far as uh, his resurrection from the dead, his body kept whole. Again, we see the fate of the wicked in verse 21. And in this we see Christ vindicated. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Christ had those who hated him. What became of them? They're left desolate. We see it in that generation. In A.D. 70, those who opposed Christ were utterly destroyed as a nation. But that's just a precursor of a worse fate for all who remain in enmity against Christ at the last day. They will be eternally desolate and destroyed. And so verse 22 concludes, The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Redemption through Christ is applied to our hearts by faith. None who believe in him are left desolate or guilty in the sight of God. Jehovah redeems our souls, transforms us into his servants, and he does this through the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hope these thoughts are an encouragement and are suggestive to read the Psalms and see Christ in them much more than we have perhaps thus far. Again, this is the psalm of, or a psalm of the praises which Messiah gives his Father for having delivered him out of all of his sufferings. He has delivered us and is delivering us and shall deliver us from all of our afflictions and so let us join the chorus we will join the chorus in heaven and the chorus begins in some measure here below on earth in heaven we will enjoy full deliverance with our deliverer in one place He describes it as entering into His joy. We will enter into His joy with Him. He will share it with us. 
And he gives us a little foretaste of it from time to time here and now. Let us relish what foretastes he gives us. May he indeed enable us more and more to taste and see that the Lord is good, as verse 8 puts it. Beloved, let Psalm 34 encourage your heart today. Encourage you in the perplexing, difficult, confusing, threatening times in which we live. Remember a victorious Christ and we share in His victory if we are in saving union with Him. So let us rejoice with Him.